0: So. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be in our time in the Word this morning. It's going to be a little different kind of uh, message today and one I must admit I'm a little nervous about how this is all going to go, um, but we're going to take a stab at it anyway. We're kind of bringing to a close what we've been talking about in this Two Ways to Live series as we're learning to know the gospel better, that we might share the gospel better. We can't, we can't share what we don't know And so we want want to just take hold of these simple gospel truths and be able to present them in such a way that someone might be able to come to know Christ through that proclamation. So here's what we want to talk about today. We've laid out over the last five weeks five basic truths about the gospel. And I'm going to just review those with us real quickly here. And I want us to understand that if what we have said over the past five weeks, if these things are true, the very truths that that Todd just shared with us through a soccer ball, if these things are true, then I want you to understand this morning that there are some definitive consequences for us in terms of how we respond to these truths. Here's what I mean. These are not just truths through which we can have an intellectual exercise. These are not just statements that we can say, well, isn't that nice? Jesus died on the cross for my sins. These truths are the kinds of truths that demand a response. And every person will make a response to these truths it's impossible to avoid a response. And there's only two responses that you might make. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if there is a holy God, the creator and king of all things, and if it is true that we have rebelled against him, we have created, we have committed treason in our sin against this holy God, and and if it's true that the due penalty For us in that treason is death, an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. If that's true. But if it's also true that God in his great mercy toward us chose to take the punishment that was due us and to place it upon his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And if his perfect son took our punishment at the cross, if that's true, and if it's, if it's true that three days later he rose from the dead, the grave could not hold him. We're not serving a dead Savior. We are following a risen Savior who is alive and well. If these things are true, then I want to say this to us today. These truths demand a response. You have to respond to this. You cannot choose to stay in some kind of a spiritual neutral zone. We'll talk more about that before we finish this morning. In a matter like this, we need to understand that no response is a rejection. To choose to not respond is to reject these truths. And as we'll see in John chapter 3 this morning... That rejection means that we continue in the condemnation that is due us because of our rebellion against God. So there is no neutral zone. John chapter 3. We're going to look at the last two verses of this chapter this morning. If you're able to stand in honor of God's word this morning, would you stand as we just share these two simple verses together? A little context as you stand These words are spoken by John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus. He prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus Christ when he was uh, here on the earth, and and, and he and he did this great work, but as the end of his ministry, as the end of John the Baptist's ministry was drawing near, he made this great statement. John's disciples came to him and said, Hey, what's the deal? All the people are going after Jesus now. They're, they're no longer following you, John. Now they're now following Jesus. And John, in all of his wisdom, responded and said, He must increase and I must decrease. By the way, followers of Jesus in the room, may that be our anthem. He must increase and I must decrease. More of him and less of me. That's a great theme of the Christian life in many ways. And then we find right after that in verse 30 when he says, He must increase but I must decrease. He makes some final statements in verses 31 through 35 that describe the greatness of Christ. Why is it that Jesus must increase and we must decrease? It's because of who he is. That he is from above and that the father has a plan for his son. A plan we are invited to take part in, but a plan that's ultimately about him, not about us. So let's read verse 35 and 36. The final words of John the Baptist in this gospel, he says, The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. That's why he must increase and we must decrease. Father loves the Son, has given all things into His hand. And then verse 36, here's the dividing line. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. You can be seated. Father, I pray that as we... Explore your scriptures today as we speak of your gospel today, as we seek to be led by your spirit today, that you would once again teach us your truth. guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Display your glory in this place today as your people called by your name gather, having opened your word, being filled with your spirit having sung and proclaimed praises to your name, God, would you do a work in this moment in our hearts? For those who do not yet know Christ as King, I pray that they would see the glory of the gospel, that blonde eyes would be opened and deaf ears would be unstopped, and that that stone-cold hearts would begin to beat for the first time according to the rhythm of this gospel. We thank you, Father, for your grace. May your glory be displayed among us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we want to speak of today. Here in John chapter 3, and as we kind of review some of what we've looked at over the last five weeks together, I've entitled today's message, The Conclusive Consequences. What is the end of all these things? As we talk about a holy creator and king, our our God, who has seen fit to look upon rebellious sinners like us in mercy, choosing not to give us the condemnation we deserve, but instead to clothe us in his righteousness through what Christ did for us at the cross. As we consider these truths once again, we want to understand very clearly that these things demand a response. You can't opt out on this one. There is no opting out. You will respond to these truths and you'll respond in one of two ways. There's only really two options on the table as we will see and as we've seen here in John three thirty six this morning. Pastor Warren Wearsby said of this passage, he said, the verdict has already been given but the sentence has not yet been executed. Why? Because God is patient And long suffering, and he continues to call sinners to repentance. As we saw, God is patient. He he is waiting, not just waiting for sinners to come to repentance, he's also waiting, as Peter wrote, he's waiting for us as the church to be faithful with our part in proclaiming the gospel. And we want to be equipped to do that. And we want to be emboldened to do that. And we want to ask God for the courage to do that. We also want to ask God for the kind of joy that we can't help but do that. That's what we've been talking about. And so, as Todd shared with you, one way through a soccer ball to share the gospel, I want to set before you another way this morning. And and by the way, I want to show you that anyone can do what I'm about to do. I'm probably the most horrible artist on the planet. I don't even want to tell you how long I've spent trying to learn how to draw, what I'm about to draw for you, and it's still horrible. And you can feel free to laugh. I don't care. My kids love to watch my drawings because they're, it's, it's really sad. It looks like a kindergartner. But what I'm trying to show you today in a, in a little bit of humility is, or maybe humiliation is if I can do this, anybody can do this. I hope you can see what, what's, what Todd did with a soccer ball a few minutes ago. Any one of us in this room can do. It's simple. God has called us to a, a simple task. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it isn't complicated. And so on your outline today, if you if you want to look at your bulletin there, you'll see the outline's a little different. I told our staff this week the outline's just going to be three lines. They thought I meant three horizontal lines. There's actually three intersecting lines here. And we're going to use this. I'm going to have it on the screen here for you. We're going to use this today as just one other uh, option, one other way to learn how to share these gospel truths with others. Sometimes it's nice to have an illustration. We live in such a visual culture that it's nice, whether it's the soccer ball or what I'm about to show you, it's sometimes nice to have a visual illustration of the truths that you're trying to share with someone. And so let me, let me give you, as Two Ways to Live does, the kind of a, a visual illustration this morning in these very crude drawings that I'm going to make here uh, on the screen for you, hopefully if the technology will cooperate. Let me show you just a simple way that you could sit down with somebody on a half sheet of paper or even on a dinner napkin and be able to draw out for them these great truths of, of the gospel. We start by drawing these, these lines, and I can't even draw straight lines, so I went ahead and cheated and put the lines on the page for us. But you, you start just by drawing what it's going to turn into basically like a comic strip with six scenes. That's the idea. As we share these six great truths of the gospel, five of which we've already seen and one that we're talking about today, we want to be able to lay these things out in a a very simple way. And so as we do so, we we begin with this great truth that, that the gospel that we're sharing, the good news that we're sharing, that the gospel is God's story. And as we've said, we need to help people understand who God is. For those of us that have been in church our whole lives, we think, well, that should be obvious who God is but it's not obvious and we don't need to take for granted the fact that that people would even understand who God is and we start with this idea this truth that God is in his most basic personage is he is our king that's my crown I know it's ugly you can laugh it's all right it's fine but God is our king he is our rightful ruler And one reason that he is our king is that he is also our creator. He created the world and everything in it. He is the only uncreated one. He is the eternal one. He has always been. He's the God who was and is and is to come. He's he's eternal in his existence, and we can't fully understand that. But we can get the idea that God created all things. He's the rightful ruler of all things things. And, and in His creation, as the, as the pinnacle of His creation, He chose to put in the world people like us. And I know my person looks like a carrot, but that's okay. That'll have a purpose here in a minute. He chose to put in the world people like us. Men and women created in His image, meant for the purpose of of displaying his glory in the world. We were the only thing in all of God's creation that was created in his image, and his likeness, to, to display what God is like. That was God's design for human beings, that we would be a, a demonstration of what God is like. That we would be a demonstration of the mercy and the grace of God, of the compassion of God, the love of God. That we would be a demonstration of the wisdom of God. and These are things that we were called upon, that we were designed to do as God's representatives in the world. And we were designed to live under His rule. To walk in obedience to His commands. to, To do what He had laid out for us to do. And at the beginning, His rules were very simple. There was actually only one. Only one rule, and and yet we understand that rather than living under the rightful rule of God, we chose to do something different. In the second panel, though, you'll you'll see that the truth of the matter is that God is still king. He is the rightful king and ruler of all things. And not only is he king, but he is also creator of all things as we've said this is the truth of the matter but the problem is that while God is king and creator we have chosen to reject his rule and reign over our lives he's the rightful ruler he's the rightful ruler because he's the rightful creator of all things and and creatorship implies ownership we've chosen not to live under his rightful rule and reign but instead We've sought to do our own thing to live outside of his rule or at least to make an attempt to and we've sought in our own ways to wear a crown of our own making. To be our own king, to do our own thing. That's what it means to be a sinner. Romans chapter 3 reminds us that None of us are good. None is righteous, not even one. All of us have turned away. All of us have gone astray, as Isaiah 53 says, that each of us has turned to his own way. That's what it means to be a sinner. I turn to my own way. I want to wear my own crown. I want to do my own thing. I want to be in control. I don't want God to be in control. I don't want him to be king over my life. I want to be king. That's what it means to be a sinner. But see, that's treason against this holy God, the creator and king of all things. That's a treasonous act when I choose my own way over his. When I seek to wear the crown, to steal his throne, and to steal his glory. See, sinners are glory thieves. We want the glory that only rightfully belongs to him. But you see, while we reject the rightful rule and reign of God, the reality is this. He's still king. Unfortunately, his crown's getting uglier. (laughs) Again, if I can do this, anybody can. I can't even do it well. You will not believe how long it took me to practice drawing a crown, and it's still not good. But you get the point. He's still king. He is still the rightful ruler of all things, The one against whom we have rebelled, and and the Bible tells us that because of our rebellion against him, we have a very, very sincere problem. Not just that we've rebelled against him, but that there is a penalty for that. We understand that sin is, is treason against our king, and there's only one rightful response to treason, and it's death. Treason is a crime deserving of death. And so we find ourselves, the Bible says, dead in our trespasses and sins. Sin is more than just a sickness, spiritually speaking. Sin means that we are spiritually dead. And what can a dead man do about his situation? I don't know about you, but I I have yet to go to a funeral home and, and see someone come back to life from the casket. There's nothing that a dead man can do about his situation. We're completely hopeless in this situation. We're the ones that have sinned against this holy God. We're deserving of his condemnation. This is right. Hebrews chapter 9 says it's appointed for each of us once to die and then comes the judgment. There's a day on all of our calendars that we we will all see. Every one of us, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever walked the face of the earth, will stand before this holy God and be judged. We will be judged by him. And those who have persisted in their rebellion against him will face this rightful condemnation by him. Death and eternal separation from God. Now, the good news is there's good news. If we stop right there, this is the most hopeless thing that you've ever heard in your life. But we go on to the next panel. We understand that the good news is that first of all, The good news is that God is still king. And maybe his crown can be better this time. Somewhat. All right. God is still king, he is still the rightful owner, ruler, and creator of all things. It's still true that we've rebelled against him and that because of our rebellion against him that we, we deserve eternal condemnation, that we deserve death and separation from him forever because of our treason against him. Those things are all still true, but there's also a greater truth that someone came to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. You see, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and a dead man can't do anything. So we needed someone to do for us something that we couldn't possibly do. And that's where Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus came, the perfect Son of God came. The Bible says that God became flesh and took up his dwelling among us. That he was full of grace and truth. Where we were full of sin and death, he was full of grace and truth. That he had no sin of his own. He did not rebel against God as we did. In fact, he walked in perfect obedience toward God even though he was fully human just as we are. He was fully God and fully man. and He came into the world and he lived the life that we could not live because of our rebellion against God. And because of that, you would think there was great reward for him. But instead, Jesus chose to take the punishment that only rightfully belonged to us. First Peter chapter 3 tells us of this amazing exchange. That the righteous one took all of our sin upon himself. And he gave us all of God's righteousness. That he took the death that should have been ours. And gave us the eternal life that only rightfully belonged to him. That all the riches and glories of heaven are given to us through faith in this one who died in our place at the cross. And so as we consider Jesus, we understand clearly that Jesus is the perfect Son of God, the one through whom all things were created. As we started in the beginning and we talked about God as our creator, that's Jesus, the one through whom all things were created. And we understand that while we rebelled against God, he walked in perfect righteousness toward God. He never sinned against God. He was sinless. And while he didn't deserve any condemnation because he never sinned, he took all of our condemnation upon himself. And Jesus became our substitute. So as we consider the cross, as we consider that the perfect Son of God took all of our sin upon himself, let's be reminded today He didn't do that just as a good example of self-sacrifice. He did that as our substitute. He was taking our place. The punishment that rightfully belonged to us, he took in full. But the good news reminds us that Jesus didn't stay dead. The good news reminds us that once again, God is king. He has always been king and he always will be king and he rules and reigns over everything, rightfully so. But what we understand because of the resurrection of Jesus, because he didn't stay in the grave, we understand that this king is Jesus we're talking about king jesus here that when he rose from the dead in the same way who said he said i'm going to lay my life down that's what he told his disciples i'm going to lay my life down and i'm going to take it up again mean who says that you can only say that if you're god he's the only one who has the authority to give and take life and when he rose from the dead he proved that everything that he had said was true that sin was defeated by his death on the cross. That eternal life was guaranteed by his promise to us. When he rose from the dead, he showed us that he is our rightful king. That he is worthy of our praise. And so First Peter chapter 1 reminds us that through him, through his resurrection, that we have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. We're not following a dead dude. We are following a living savior. This is where the good news gets really good. We are following him as, a, as our resurrected Lord, our rightful king, King Jesus. And so, where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? I, I would say to us today, again, these truths demand a response. But until we come to this last panel, you may not clearly see what the response is. Let me show it to you first of all again the response involves this understanding rightfully that God is the rightful king he deserves to rule and to reign in every way and we've discovered that Jesus is that rightful king and God and we can understand from this that Really, we're left with one of two options. We can either choose to continue in the state in which we were born and find ourselves, where we rebel against God, where we continue to try to wear a little crown of our own making. We continue to try to rule and reign over our own lives and reject his authority Or we can choose to live under the rightful rule and reign of King Jesus. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, he's made it very simple. He's given us simple instructions about how we can turn away from our little crowns, from our little kingdoms, And be a part of his eternal kingdom. And the way that we do that is through uh, these sweet little pathways of repentance and faith. Repentance means we turn from sin. We turn from our rebellion against God. We turn away from our treason against him. We turn away from trying to wear our own little crowns and sit on our own little thrones. And we trust him. That's what faith means. Faith means I trust Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. I recognize that I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I can not do anything about that. But Jesus did everything that was necessary to take me from a place of death to a place of life. He did everything that was necessary to rescue me from the wrath of God that was due me. I deserved death, and Jesus gave me life through his sacrifice at the cross and through his resurrection three days later. And so I understand very clearly that I really just have one of two options. I can either continue living in my own little kingdom, seeking to be my own God and rule my own life and do things my own way, In utter rebellion against my holy creator and king. Or I can choose to recognize that Jesus is the rightful king and creator. And I can submit myself to him through repentance and faith. Through turning from sin and trusting in Christ. And once again this is the decision that every person must make. There is no neutral zone here. There's no Switzerland in this picture. There is either one or the other who will be king of your life. Let's talk through this from just a little bit different perspective this morning. What I've said before you basically involves just these simple six C's of sharing the gospel with others. Just this most basic way that we can lay before people uh, the good news that God has for us. First of all, it begins, we've got to talk about God as our creator. We've got to start there. Again, as we said in days past, a generation ago, we could have taken that for granted, that people had a biblical understanding of who God is. Even if they weren't living for him, they had a basic understanding of who the God of the Bible is. They don't anymore. So we've got to start at the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or go to a verse like Revelation 4.11, which, which reminds us that he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because he created all things. He's worthy of our worship because he created all things, and by his will they existed and were created. So we start with just that basic idea of God as our creator, and then we need to talk about our corruption, our sin against him. We can take them to Romans chapter 3 and, and show them that none of us is righteous. Not one. And that No one understands. No one seeks after God. We've all turned aside. We've all gone astray. That we are not at our core good people who just need a little Jesus to make us better. We are wretched sinners. The, the, the song Amazing Grace is true. It saved a wretch like me. And we need to understand that in order to understand not just the gravity of our sin, but the greatness of His grace. And so we talk about our corruption. Thirdly, we need to talk about the fact that our corruption means that we stand stand condemned before Him. This is often the part of the gospel that's left out because we find it uncomfortable to talk about hell. But understand, Jesus talked more about hell than He ever did about heaven. Why? Because He wanted us to know the reality of what we were facing. And so we talk to folks about Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed for each of us to die once and after that comes judgment. That there is a day on every person's calendar that is going to be exactly the same. There is one divine appointment appointment that we all will keep. There will be no opting out. All of us will stand before the throne of God one day and have to give an account for our lives. And apart from this next panel, that leaves us hopeless because we have no plea before a holy God if all we have is our sin against him. For that reason, we need to talk with folks, obviously, about the cross. And help them to understand that the cross is showing us that God has done something for us that we could impossibly do for ourselves. We could have died on the cross a thousand deaths and it wouldn't have merited us eternal life. But because the eternal Son of God died in our place, it merited us eternal life through through faith in Him. Christ also suffered once for sins. It only needed to be once, praise the Lord. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. That's what the cross is about. It's the great exchange that the righteous one, Jesus, took the place of the unrighteous ones, you and I. He became our substitute of the cross. He wasn't just showing us what a nice picture of self-sacrifice looked like. He was becoming our substitute of the cross so that we might participate in this amazing exchange. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We had no access to God apart from the cross. Sinners cannot stand in the presence of a holy God unless they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which was purchased for us at the cross. And then we need to talk with folks about his conquest. Every great king has a great conquest. And the... The conquest of Jesus Christ was over sin and death and the grave, and his resurrection proved it. The resurrection was his victory march, if you will, as he came home in glory to the Father. He He was demonstrating his victory when he took up his life again. When he rose from the dead, He was proving that all His promises were true, and so we can take them to 1 Peter 1, 3, that according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So all of our hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not putting all of our hope in some possibility that we might complete the law of God, because we'll never do that. We can break it really well, but obeying it we're not so good at Until the Holy Spirit comes in and enables us to do what we couldn't do before. We have this living hope through Christ's resurrection. And then finally, as we've shared these things, we need to bring people to a place of response. What is the consequence of these truths? There is a consequence. This is not the kind of thing that you can just look at and go, well, that's nice. This is not just factual information that you can take in just to know it. It, it, it bears upon us a, a demand for response. You have to do something with this. So John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. But at the end of the day, we will either trust him or we will not. We'll either obey him or we will not. We will either believe His promises or we will not. But I want you to notice it, there's no neutral ground here. That's what John 3 reminds us of. I know all of us know John 3:16, but don't miss John 3:36. and by the way, don't miss John 3:18. It's a similar kind of an idea. The gospel demands response from us. And so we ought to call others to response as well as we share the gospel. So these six C's for sharing the gospel, talking about our creator, our corruption, our condemnation, his cross, his conquest, and, and the consequences for all of us in light of these truths. It's simple, isn't it? I hope you see how simple it is. It doesn't have to be complicated. You, you could walk somebody through this in, in 10 or 15 minutes easily. But in so doing, you're extending to them the hope of eternal life that only comes through Christ's gospel. So here's what we want to do as we finish today. I want to leave you with just three basic truths from John three thirty six. I don't want to dive into these anymore uh, than is necessary but as we come to John three thirty six and we see the consequences of our response to the gospel l- let these three things remind us of why there's a demanded response why there's no neutral zone why, why there's no no Switzerland no, no, no neutral ground in this picture this is a truth that demands response first of all First truth from John three thirty six. as we go to the end of the verse, we see that our default is destruction. Notice what it says, and I want to encourage you to underline a word here in John 3, 36, if you have your Bible there. he says, Whoever believes the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, and underline this word, it remains on him. Do you notice that word? It doesn't say the wrath of God is coming to him or the wrath of God is due to him, it says the wrath of God remains on him. If something remains on you, what's the truth about that? It had to be there in the first place. So the Bible teaches us rightly that we were born under the condemnation of God because we were born in sin. David writes in the Psalms, it was in sin that my mother conceived me. And he's not talking about some illicit relationship that David's mother had. He's just saying he was even conceived in sin. There was, that sin has corrupted every part of God's creation. That our rebellion was not just about us. It was about every part of God's creation being ruptured and fractured in a way that only he could put back together. Which he will do, by the way. So our default is destruction. The, the wrath of God remains on us until that day when faith takes its rightful place. Secondly, we understand that our disobedience is disbelief. You can read John three thirty six, and it says, Whoever believes the Son has eternal life. But then look at the next phrase. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So somebody might say, well, wait a minute. Is it about faith or is it about obedience? And guess what the answer is? Yes. Yes. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand and think that John is saying to us that you're going to earn the favor of God through your obedience. No, we already, we already missed that train. We already missed that train. There's no way you're going to earn the favor of God through your obedience because you've already been disobedient. And there's no getting back on that train. In fact, you need a completely different train. It's the train of God's grace. Now it's a free gift because Jesus did what we were unable to do. Jesus did for us what we were incapable of doing. And so what he's helping us to understand, though, here is this, that our disobedience against God, that is disbelief. And our disbelief, it is disobedience. So he's not saying you can earn the favor of God through your obedience. Ephesians 2 has erased that possibility. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're saved by the grace of God, not of works, lest we should boast. But it is reminding us that the kind of faith that saves is the kind of faith that obeys. The kind of faith that rescues us is the kind of faith that learns to walk in righteousness. That's how you know if your faith is genuine, if you are growing in your obedience to his commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He didn't say, earn my love through your obedience. But he said, as you grow in love for me, you're going to grow in obedience to me. That's part of God's plan for us. And finally, John 3, 36 reminds us that our deliverer is divine. Our only hope of deliverance is in Jesus right there at the very beginning of the verse. Here's the dividing line that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And notice he doesn't say will have. He says has. Eternal life doesn't begin pie in the sky by and by. Eternal life begins in the moment when a sinner turns from their sin and trusts in their Savior. That's when eternal life begins. In fact, we could say this very clearly. That's when real life begins. That's when life begins. Up to that point, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And then Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the grave in your place, then causes you in that moment, you who are dead in your sins, he causes you to rise from the grave as well. And there's new life in Christ. And that's what we celebrate. Because our Deliverer is divine God in the flesh came and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory full of grace and truth. So let me leave you with probably the best known verse of Scripture. John three sixteen. We all know it, don't we? Here's what I want to encourage you as we finish today. Please don't divorce John three sixteen from the verses that follow. Or by the way, even the verses that precede it. Read Scripture in its context. I've urged you in that for many years now. You will misunderstand John 3.16 if you don't understand the rest of the story. John 3.16, we all know it. Let's just read this together out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some of us have been around the church so long. We've heard that so many times. We, the, the glory of it is faded in our minds, even though it's more glorious than the first time that we heard it. But then it goes on in verse 17 to say, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned. And I want you to underline this word in your Bibles. Is condemned already. John three thirty six. the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that will change. Church, listen to me, that'll change the way that you look at lost people. Because if we believe the false notion that people can exist in some kind of a spiritual neutral zone, born into the world in some kind of a spiritual Switzerland where they're neither good nor bad, they're just kind of in in an in-between place. Then we will not understand the gravity of their situation, nor will we understand the gravity of our situation prior to coming to know Christ. We were condemned already. It was right and fully justified for our holy God, Creator and King, to declare us condemned. But in His mercy and in His righteousness. He gave to us freely this amazing gift of salvation. And then he has called us, those who have received the free gift of God, this gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, he has given us this amazing opportunity to utilize that gift of eternal life to be able to share the hope of glory with others who are still under his condemnation in hopes that they might turn away from their little crowns and submit to his great authority.